You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Traditionally, some of you may be familiar with this, uh, I would say something along the lines of, he is risen, and then everybody, all of you would say, he is risen indeed. So he is risen, he is risen, amen. Uh, You get a good rest in your legs, feel rested, now that you're standing and sit down, now I'm going to ask you to stand up again. Can you stand? (laughs) thought I was joking, I wasn't. Read from the scriptures, if you're visiting Meadowbrook for the first time, we really take the Word of God seriously. We believe it is the Word of God, and that anytime you read these words in the pages of this book, the Bible, you hear the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. And the reason why we ask you to stand is really, honestly, I don't have anything better to offer you than what's in this book. And so we'll start with Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 42. The words will be on the screen. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, He granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph uh, bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. And... uh, and so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we could celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. Have your way with us. Use your word to just you know, speak to our hearts. And God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. So my name is Keith Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Meadowbrook Church. And uh, it is a pleasure to be able to just open up the scriptures uh, with you. This is the fourth Resurrection Sunday, the fourth fourth Easter Sunday. I get to do this with you uh, since we arrived. Now, I've been a pastor for a while, for like 20 years. I've probably preached, I don't know, 18, 19 uh, Easter sermons. There's not 
like a whole lot to add to the Easter, to the Easter story, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Jesus rose from the grave, period. That's why we're here. He rose from the grave. He's not dead. He is risen. We believe that with all of our hearts here at Meadowbrook. R.C. Sproul said something that uh, I thought was pretty profound, and he said this. He said, unbelievers can tolerate Christ only as long as he is stripped of his real identity. Think about that. Those who don't believe in Jesus, like don't believe that he is actually the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, can tolerate him only as long as he is stripped of his real identity. Like if Jesus was simply a moral teacher, uh, not unlike Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama, then there's nothing really offensive about him. There's nothing really that, that's threatening about him. Um, we could basically, you know, take what we like about him and get rid of the stuff that we don't like about him if he is not who he claimed to be. But for Jesus, he was so much more than just a religious teacher. He was so much more than just a morally outstanding man. Yeah, the, the question that each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seeks to answer, if you read through any of those, are, are these three questions. Who is Jesus? Um, why did he come? And what does it mean to follow him? And that's certainly the case with the Gospel of Mark. You know, who is this Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? Because how you answer those three questions will have uh, life-altering uh, consequences on your life. Like if he is much more than a moral teacher, it will have a significant, or at least should have a significant or profound influence upon your life. If the resurrection never really happened, though, if Jesus never really rose from the grave, then he's no moral teacher. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that if Jesus really didn't rise from the grave, then he is either a lunatic, a liar, or something worse. I mean, think about some of the things that Jesus said. So uh, in, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever uh, would save his life... Uh, will lose it, but whoever uh, loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Like if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if he was just some religious teacher, then, then this is a horrible thing to say. Right? Follow me and it will be worth it. Even if you lay down your life and you forsake everything else and I become number one, it will be worth it. If he's just a moral teacher, then, then that's a horrible thing to say. Like, he asked people to drop everything that they were doing to follow him. Uh, in, in another part of the gospel, Gospel Mark says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there, has, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. It's a horrible thing to say if all you are is just a moral teacher. If he didn't rise from the grave, then he lied and he misled those who staked everything on his claims. And so what we learned from the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus died. He died for people like you and, and me. He died for sinners. Uh, he was crucified. He was handed over by the religious leaders to Pontius Pilate to be sentenced for treason. 
proclaiming to be the king of the Jews. Before he was forced to carry his cross, he was beaten, and he was flogged. And the flogging was typically two soldiers, two Roman soldiers with whips called the cat of nine tails. Laced at the end of those whips was maybe metal, bone, possibly glass. And it was meant to tear the flesh from the back. It was, it was nicknamed the halfway death. He was scourged. When Pilate presented him before this, this mob and asked, what should I do with this one? And, and in an effort to free Jesus, he said, you know, it's customary that I give you the choice between two, two people who are going to possibly be sentenced to death. And in this case, it was Barabbas. And Barabbas was a known murderer. And they asked for Barabbas to be released in place of Jesus. And he said, well, what has Jesus done? And, and they just shouted all the more, crucify, crucify him. So Pilate, and we learn in the Gospel of John, Pilate took Jesus aside and said, hey, you know, I have the, the power, I have the authority to get you out of this. And Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, according to the gospel writers, Jesus was in control the whole time. He wasn't a victim. This was his plan. And he told his disciples that this was the way it was going to go down. I, the Son of Man, will be crucified. And I, the Son of Man, will be raised on the third day. And it's funny, it's, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a class situation where the teacher's just saying stuff to you and your eyes kind of glass over and you're like, uh, you know, like what? I, I didn't get it. Um, that's the way math was for me. Like, huh? <laughs> and, uh, and so every time Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be crucified, they're like, no, 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 that will never happen. And then he talked about the resurrection. It was just kind of like that response. Like, huh? Like it was totally over their heads. He was crucified. He was legitimately crucified. He was led to the place of Golgotha where he was stretched out and he was nailed to a cross through his hands and through his feet. The death, the process of death on the cross was long and you died by suffocation, not by pain. The pain just added to it. It was meant to uh, be excruciating. In fact, that word, excruciating, do you know the root for that word excruciating? It comes from, it's from the cross. That's where we get the word from. Jesus went to the cross, and while on the cross, he was, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. Even the two thieves who were crucified on his left and his right ridiculed him and mocked him. There are seven things that Jesus said while on the cross. Uh, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As soldiers, you know, uh, gambled over his garments. The second statement, he said, Truly I say to you, to the thief on, on, on his one side, who started out mocking him, but somewhere in the course of time, between, in, in that time span of six hours while Jesus was on the cross, that thief said to Jesus, uh, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then Jesus looked at his mom, who was at the foot of the cross, with John, one of his disciples, and he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And then, then he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
In that moment, he was bearing not just the punishment we all deserve, but the wrath of God on that cross for your sins, for our sins. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the Father, God the Father, turned from the Son. He was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. That is the message of Good Friday and also the message of Resurrection Sunday. And to just symbolic of, his, of the fact that he was fully human, not only was he uh, God in flesh, but he was fully human. He cried out, I thirst. And then he said, it is finished. What was finished? Well, everything that he came to do was finished. It was a triumphal statement. It was a triumphant statement. It wasn't a statement of surrender. It was a statement of victory. And then just to make sure that everybody understood that, that uh, his crucifixion and his death and who had what to say over his life, it was all on his watch. Because his final statement, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last and he died. Here's the fact. Here's the reality. Here's what happened. Jesus died. He died. He physically died. They took him down from the cross and they wrapped him in, a, in cloth, and they put him in a tomb that somebody else purchased for him, and they, rolled the, they sealed the tomb with the stone. He was dead. Now, there have been people who have suggested over the years, over, throughout history, to try to explain away the, the resurrection of Jesus, was that, well, maybe the person hanging on the cross was actually Jesus' twin brother. And so Jesus' twin brother tragically died, they put him in the tomb, and, his other, and the other twin came out and said, ta-da, I'm alive. That, some people actually believe that. And then others suggested, well, maybe the, the, the crucifixion was so bad that from the pain he w- was rendered unconscious. They put him in this nice, cold, damp tomb. They sealed it, and the dampness and the coldness of the tomb revived him. He got up and said, oh, it's good to be alive. Um, some people suggested that. All of the, and there are other suggestions too, and all of them have been disproven. The reality is that Jesus died. Historically, Jesus died. He died on a cross and he was buried in a tomb. And his followers got really crazy afterwards. That's the way the world saw it anyway. Here's another factor in the whole death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus thing that that I, I have not heard a lot of people talk about, and I, quite frankly, I haven't talked about it a lot either. But for a Messiah to be executed historically, what that meant or what that would result in is their movement would die with them. Historically, that's happened. There are, uh, like, there was a guy by the name of Simon Bar uh, Gioria, and another uh, who, who claimed to be the Messiah, he died, and it his movement died with him. There's another guy by the name of Simeon Bar, uh, K- K- it sounds like Chewbacca, but it's K- Kachapa. <laughs> uh, I'd hate to have that name. So he, he died, and his movement died with him. But something happened with Jesus' resurrection, like in his death. Something happened in the, the, between the burial in the tomb and Sunday morning, where his movement did not die, 
One scholar wrote of the significance of this. He said, the historical record shows that the death of would-be messiahs is so counterintuitive to the messianic expectations of the day that the movements can never recover from it. In the minds of the first century Jews, the death of a would-be Messiah, somebody who claimed to be the Messiah, shows that he was definitely not the Messiah. That's why, friends, when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples were quiet. They were mourning. They were depressed. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was uh, sent to, to be crucified, what did the disciples do? They all ran. Before Peter ran, he cut off some dude's ear. Because it was typical of Peter. He would act before he would think. And, uh, but they ran. We're told that one of the people that was in the garden that day who, was, uh, who, who liked Jesus, he ran and left his clothes behind him. And, and so um, y- y- you don't make these kind of stories up. <laughs> the Apostle Paul wrote at length concerning Jesus' resurrection. He said this, and he, he, and he wrote at length about Jesus' death. And he linked the two together. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. He's writing to this jacked-up church called the Corinthian church. They were a mess, by the way. And there were a group of them in this church who didn't really buy into the whole physical resurrection thing. And Paul's like, what? Are you crazy? He said, now let me remind you, this is the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is the gospel. I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance of the scriptures. Uh, after Jesus rose from the grave, and Peter witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, Peter began to grow up. <laughs> he started to you know, make sense when he opened his mouth much more instead of just saying things without thinking about them. He told this same crowd, mostly, most likely many of them who, who screamed, crucify, crucify him. He spoke to that same crowd at Pentecost and he said, by the hands of lawless men, Jesus was crucified. You were, were responsible for that crowd but it happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That God, God was the one who was orchestrating the events. He, he was in control the whole time. And the prophets of old even talked about it. It's, and the disciples missed it. When, anytime they read Isaiah chapter 53, they, they missed it, that it was about Jesus all along. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And the women who followed Jesus, you know what their plan was? To cover up the stench of death. That was their plan. They wanted to do this in a way of honoring this man that they loved as their teacher. So they went to the tomb on the first day of the week, which on the Jewish calendar would have been Sunday morning. Saturday is the Sabbath. So they went. They went to anoint his body. It's kind of, we, we kind of do the same thing. You know, my dad died at the age of 47. The first funeral I officiated was my own father's. 
First time I saw his dead corpse was on a Friday. And uh, they, gave, they gave my brother and I some time, you know, with his body. And what did they do? They filled his body with embalming fluid, and they covered his face with makeup. Why did they do that? To cover the ugliness of death? Well, Mary and, and the women who went to the tomb, they were just there to cover the ugliness of death. A resurrected Messiah was not on their radar, wasn't in the cards for them. And, and so what did Jesus do? He died for our sins. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Like, if you're making this story up, this is not the way you make up a cool story, Messiah story, right? Like, first of all, just so you know, in first century Palestine, the, the witness, the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus or the resurrected Messiah it should not be women. Women didn't have a voice in first century Palestine. So if you're making this up, you want some really cool, influential guys to be the ones who witnessed the resurrection. In fact, if you're making this story up, um, you want to mix a little Braveheart with Avengers Endgame. That's how you want to make it. Like, that's how you want to make it up. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen Some of you maybe have not seen Braveheart. It's a good movie. And uh, Avengers, Avengers Endgame, best Marvel movie ever, right? I probably saw it like 10 times at least. Like, like I could just picture, like, if you're making this up, when Jesus was before Pilate, like, I would have, like, had Jesus throat punch Pilate and then call down 70,000 angels, kind of like in Avengers Endgame, but not heroes, but angels, and just wipe out Rome. That's what, they were, that's what the, the disciples were expecting. If you're going to make up a story, that's how you do it. But that's not the story. In fact, when, Jesus, when, when Peter chopped off that, the ear of that, of that Jewish uh, guard who came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, put your sword away. Don't you know I could call down literally over 70 million angels if I wanted to? I could do that if I wanted to, or 70,000 angels. I, I could do it like that. But that's not what this is about. And so the women came to the tomb, and the, tomb was, was, the, the stone was rolled away, and, and Jesus defeated death. He defeated death. When these women uh, you know, entered into the tomb, they probably thought somebody robbed the tomb or maybe um, abused the corpse in some way, like some last final act of just getting her, uh, another blow in on Jesus. But they came, and Jesus wasn't there, and there was an angel, and he said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, and he, he, he's not here. And wh what were the women, what, were their, what was their response? We're told, like the NIV, I think, has, I think it translates it the best here. He says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because people just don't rise from the grave. And the Apostle Paul, consider what he wrote to the jacked-up church called Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read this together, ready? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus has not been raised from the grave, then the best thing, the best thing that my, dad ex- that my dad's body experienced was embalming fluid and makeup. If Jesus had not been raised from the grave, then the closest thing that you will ever come to experiencing heaven is this life only. But he rose from the grave. And so for the Christian, I say this often, and it is so true, for the Christian, this life, this life, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if your hope is in him, that he died to death that you deserve, that I deserve, and he rose on the third day, then this life is the closest thing that you will ever come to experiencing hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's offensive. And it's insane to say something like that if you are not who you claim to be. But the empty tomb validates what Jesus claimed. And it changed the world. It turned the world literally upside down. Uh, It it changed the the lives of the disciples. It changed the 500 people who witnessed his resurrection. It changed the world. There's uh, an agnostic atheist. I don't know how they go together. But this is how this guy, I think he describes himself this way. He's a scholar. His name's Bart uh, Ehrman. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, he said this about, and he's a New Testament scholar. How does that work? I don't understand. But he, he said this about the resurrection. He said, it is indisputable that some of the followers of Jesus came to think that he had been raised from the dead and something had to have happened to make them think so. It wasn't because of their grief. They weren't hallucinating. You're not willing to die for something you believe because you hallucinated something. That you saw some weird vision. No, they, they experienced the resurrection. Paul continues to say in 1 first, in first Corinthians, he wrote, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, For as by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. At every funeral I say, you know, when I'm officiating, I've done a lot of funerals. Uh, I lost count. I say at the grave or of the grave or of the deceased, if that person was a Christian, I say, this is not death's victory dance. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, he lived during Nazi Germany time. He was, a, he was a German theologian, Christ follower. He came to the States on several occasions, and when things were getting really crazy in Germany, he was invited to stay in America. You could stay here. It's safe here. You, you you're welcome here. And he said, if I stay here, how could, I go, how could I ever go back and help my people heal? So he went back to Germany. He was a pacifist. And um, it got to the point where he said, I, I, I can't be a pacifist anymore. 
I cannot sit by and watch my Jewish neighbors be murdered and slaughtered. So he got involved with the resistance. He was part of an assassination plot against Hitler. Here's a guy who, who uh, served uh, men who wanted to go into pastoral ministry, and they did this seminary underground, illegally, um, because what he read in the Bible didn't jive with what was happening in his country. And so, so he got involved with the Nazi resistance, and then he was, the, the assassination attempt, as some of you know, failed, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, along with others, were discovered, and he was arrested, and he was put in prison. And while in prison, he wrote poems, and he, he, he uh, shared the gospel with, uh, his fellow, with the prison guards and his fellow inmates. And, and uh, it, it either happened before Hitler died or after, but Dietrich, it was ordered that Dietrich Bonhoeffer be led to the gallows to be hung. They stripped him naked, and one of the guards that led him there said to him, he said, well, I guess this is the end. And Bonhoeffer looked at him and he said, no, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. Well, how can you say something like that if Jesus didn't rise from the grave? And the story of the church is a story of, of these people who've, whose lives have been radically transformed as a result of this news that Jesus died for our sins and walked out of that tomb conquering death. Like my guess is that most of you in this room, maybe even all of you in this room, believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Like how many of you believe Jesus rose from the grave? Nobody's taking a record here. Just Okay, most of you. If not all of you. Um, so when you hear Paul write to the Corinthians, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You're probably sitting there saying, I believe in the resurrection. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here celebrating that. I believe in that. Maybe a more appropriate question for us in this room is something like this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you live as though the resurrection never happened? See, that's a different question. Like, if you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then walked out of that tomb victoriously as a result of a resurrection validating everything he claimed to be, if you really believe that, it will change your life. It will change your life. It will turn your world upside down if you really believe that. I'm not talking about the facts that you read in the Bible. I'm talking about believe it. Like, it, it, like you're leaning into this news. Like this is life for you. This is life transforming for you. Like when R.C. Sproul said, unbelievers can tolerate Christ only as long as he is stripped of his real identity. The resurrection affirms his identity. It, it, his resurrection redefines everything about you and will do the same for anyone who places their faith and trust in this Jesus who walked out of that tomb. That doesn't mean that your life is going to be squeaky clean. It doesn't mean that you'll never struggle with sin. What it means is, is that you know, you know that when that day comes where you breathe your final breath, it's not the end, it's the beginning. And every, every minute, every moment of your life is lived in anticipation of, of, that, new, of that beginning, that, that, that new beginning, eternal life. Like the first 300 years that Jesus, uh, you know, after Jesus' resurrection 
um, it was illegal to be a Christian. Like if you were a Christian, it was a death sentence. And yet these, these people, they, these followers of Jesus, when faced with the sword, or when, like, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, was threatened capital punishment, like, bring it on. They cut his head off. Like Peter, the Apostle, they crucified him upside down. Um, Mark, the Gospel writer, it said that they tied each of his limbs to a separate horse, and that's how he died. Why would they die for a fable? Like Avengers Endgame, pretty cool movie. Didn't change my life, though. Jesus rose from the grave. It is estimated that over 70 million Christians since Jesus walked out of that tomb have been martyred to this day. And it didn't stop the movement. The gospel is continuing to spread to people groups who have not yet heard the gospel preached yet. And it's, it's spreading. Why? Because of something that, some type of ability that we have? No. It's because the founder of our religion is a resurrected Messiah. He is the Christ. He is Jesus. And listen, if you're here and you're just trying to figure this out, if you're like, I'm not sure what, how I feel about Jesus right now, I promise you, if you place your faith and trust in him, if you believe in him, not just with your head, but with your heart, he will change your life. That doesn't mean you're never going to struggle with sin. You will. In fact, I describe the Christian walk this way. It's like a waltz. Two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes one step forward, two steps back. You know, sometimes it feels like you're a little sideways, right? Um, but the progression of your life is it's one that continually moves forward as you follow Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that will change your life. It will change your life. And, um, and if you leave here, just because you thought, this is a, a good religious thing to do, my wife or my husband you know, wanted me to come, you're, if, if you're, you know, your parents are here, you're like, my, my dad made me come or my mom made me come, and you leave here and you don't, you don't think any more about what has been said, I'll be tragic. For the person who rejects Christ, this is the closest in this life you will ever come to experiencing heaven. The person who embraces Christ, this is the closest that you'll ever experience in this life to, to experiencing hell. Um, I wish I could bring up the picture but um, there's a man who used to host a life group here. Cliff, Abraham, um, some of you guys, some of you know him. Um, he was, uh, I guess it was the day of his daughter's birthday, like in April last year, just sometime before he got COVID. She I don't know if he knew. It almost kind of looked like he knew. He was dancing and he was singing with his headset on. Uh, I guess he was mowing the lawn or whatever, and he was just going to town. Now, you couldn't hear what he was listening to. 
but he was celebrating. And uh, somebody asked on the stream, on the on the thread on on Facebook, what was he listening to? He was listening to a song by Building 429. You know, I think it's titled "I'm Not Home Yet." He was singing about heaven. Little did he, he know that in a matter of weeks he would wind up with COVID and uh, he would lose that battle to COVID. I officiated his funeral, his memorial service. I said the same thing to the family that was there and his friends. This is not death's victory dance. You know, Cliff really believed the resurrection. He believed that Jesus rose from the grave. And even in the hospital, he was holding on to that. It is life, friends. It is the greatest news in the universe. And it really happened. Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, he's dead. In fact, the story is he died of food poisoning. He, he had bad rice porridge. Not nirvana. <laughs> um, his understanding of nirvana was the, the, is ceasing to exist. Like, that's depressing. Described it as, here's your life the flame of a candle, blow it out, that's nirvana. I'm like, that sucks, right? Muhammad, he's dead. Every founder of every religion is dead, except for one. He died on a cross. He cried out, it is finished. Before he died, was buried in a tomb. And on Sunday morning, he conquered the grave. That should change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the gospel, the greatest news in the universe. Thank you for this news that is transforming lives. Still today, it's transforming lives. And if there's anyone in this room who has not yet, has not yet come to terms with who Jesus is, God, that um, you just Help them understand that it's okay to have questions. You don't have to have all the questions answered. You just need to be settled on this one thing that your son died a death that we all deserved. He paid the penalty of our sin on that cross. He died, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave. And that all who confess that he is Lord and believe in their hearts that you, O God, raised him from the grave, will be saved. And for the rest of us in this room, who, who just, that is the greatest news in the universe for us, that is something we're holding on to, God, that we, we will not treat that news as old news, but one that we are reminded of every single day. That there is nothing that we bring to the table of your holiness and righteousness we come with empty hands. And that any righteousness that we could have is found in Jesus. Perfect righteousness. And he shed his blood in our place, on our account, so that our sins could be forgiven. So that there would be no fear of condemnation because of our hope in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.